You know, as long as people have been people, rumors have been a part of our social interaction. We, we love to, to get the inside information or maybe discover a conspiracy that nobody else knows about. And they don't even have to necessarily be true to spread. They, they just have to be heard by enough people enough times for them to kind of take on a life of their own. And if a rumor is heard enough times, then it can kind of grow into one of those urban myths, one of those urban myths that, that kind of get spread around and nobody really knows if it's true or not. Like, for example, uh, the, the Apollo space landing, moon landing, was actually faked on a Hollywood soundstage. That, that's a big urban myth that's out there. Or that Paul McCartney is dead. He's the only one out of step on the Abbey Road album. That's a clue. Or that Elvis is still alive. Or, you know, Prince or Michael Jackson or Tupac or whatever. There's another urban myth that Cher has never had elective surgery. It's amazing what I mean, nature has done. Come on. But if we're not careful and if we're not intentional, then we begin to accept those myths as truth. And it changes the way we behave. You know, you were talking about urban myths. There was a suburban myth uh -oh. uh -huh, this summer. And I'm not sure if you heard about it. You probably did. Um, I heard it from multiple people. It was a rumor going around. It literally would change everyone's lives. And I knew I, I had to investigate for, for myself to find out if it was real and true. The definition of myth is a widely held but false. Everybody say false. False. Say it like you mean it. False. False. Which means not true. A widely held, everybody was believing it, but a false belief or idea. You probably heard the rumor that the Lake Travis Chick-fil-A was closed this summer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just want you to know that that was not true. And so you know how I know it's not true? Because I panicked and I went there every day this summer. Just to verify, homework. I did the homework. <laughs> I gained at least five pounds, but it was so worth it. But there are people out there, guys. But that was for the community. Yeah, yeah, it was for others. There were people out there <laughs> who believed the lie and did not have Chick-fil-A all summer. And so we pray for them. But, you know, if we're not careful, <laughs> if we're not intentional, then we do the same thing. We take things that we've heard, we take rumors, we take myths, we begin to accept them as real and true. And if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, then we begin to act out of our beliefs because it is true. How you think is how you behave. Your behavior is just an overflow of your thoughts. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, I'm going to use the International Children's Version because I love this version. Proverbs 4.23, be very careful about what you, say it with me. Think. About what you. Think. Your. Thoughts. Run your life. Be very careful about what you think because your thoughts run your life. Your behavior is an overflow of your thoughts. Let's talk about some of the myths, some of the rumors, some of the commonly held beliefs that relate to school and family and teachers. How about this one? All girls are mean in the lunchroom. <laughs> All boys are mean in the locker room. You have to be mean to survive. Parents and preteens and teens just don't get along. That's just a universal truth. We are always at odds with teenagers. How about this one? 
Teenagers are just disrespectful and ungrateful all the time. All teenagers. That is a myth. All you have to do is show up at Lake Hills Church on Sunday morning, and you will see that our teenagers have the biggest hearts of all. Mm. If I don't make the team, I will never be happy. If I don't make the team, I won't have any friends. Parents, I don't want to leave you out. Here's one just for you. If I don't write this paper for him, he won't get into college. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a That myth. was the laugh of recognition right there. Uh, here, here's another one. If I don't take her lunch up to the school, she will starve. <laughs> Let's vow now, okay, parents? Yeah, that's right. Those are myths. Our children will survive. It's a myth. Ac- inaccurate statements, myths. This is what today we're going to call stinking thinking. Stinking thinking, because they're widely held beliefs, but they are not true. It's just stinking thinking. Turn to your neighbor and say, no more stinking thinking. No more stinking thinking. And when we do stinking thinking, this is what we're going to do. Stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. No more stinking thinking. Let's do it together. Ready? One, two, three. No No more more stinking stinking thinking. Because we have to be so careful about what we think. We have to be intentional that our thoughts are accurate. We have to be careful that our thoughts are true and real. Because after all, our behavior is an overflow of our thoughts. So we have to be able to recognize, be able to identify that stinking thinking and flip it to the actual factual It rhymes. Listen carefully. We have to flip our stinking thinking to the actual factual. You know, a lot of you walked in today by the photo op outside underneath the front porch, and you might have noticed that all the furniture is upside down. That's very, very deliberately. Now, of course, you can take a picture in that and post it online and flip it upside down and dazzle your friends. But what that does is actually a great picture of what the gospel does. You see, the gospel flips our stinking thinking to the actual factual. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And when it penetrates, when it permeates every part of our lives, it begins to course correct that stinking thinking that we're all subject to. We we all have a very real capacity for the the thought life, the thought patterns, and the, the thoughts themselves to take us away from what God created us for. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Romans chapter 12. You may have it on your phone or an actual book Bible. But in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says something so profound about how God does this. Look, look at Romans 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world But let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So the world is going to think a certain way. But when a person comes into a relationship with Christ, that changes everything. All of a sudden, we have access to the very thoughts of God who made everything in the first place. God who cannot lie. God who understands everything. God whose 
Wisdom is perfect. Now, in Christ, we have the opportunity to partner with God in this life that we were created for, to partner with him in the first place. But it begins to change. That, that word in the original Greek, to transform us, is the same word that we use when we think about a, a caterpillar that becomes a lovely butterfly. It's, it's a metamorphosis. Turn to your neighbor and tell him like you mean it, with back-to-school passion and enthusiasm. Get your metamorphosis on. <laughs> Get your metamorphosis on. That's See, like a it just science flows lesson. Out, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? But we transform. Our lives are changed. We grow. We become more Christ-like as God changes the ways that we think. All of a sudden, we don't look at people the same way. All of a sudden, we, we look at everything from nature to relationships to our kids to our parents. All of a sudden, the game has changed and we flipped that stinking thinking that we had before that, that the rest of the world has. We flipped it to the actual factual, to what is real and what is true. And, and that's what God is after because God is the one who gets to determine reality because he created reality. He created truth. And so our job as human beings is to line our lives up and bring our lives into alignment with what God says is real and true in Scripture. Flip your stinking thinking to the actual factual. Our minds are so powerful. Mm. Our minds are so powerful. And God, the Creator, knows that about us. That is why He tells us to change the way we think, that He will help us change the way we think. That is why He says, be so careful how, you're think how you think because your thoughts run your life. We must choose. Everybody say choose. Choose. We must choose to be aware of our stinking thinking and to flip it to the actual factual. And the actual factual is God's word, God's plan, God's desire. He has created each of us on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. And he wants to share that with you. But you've got to learn his thoughts, learn his ways, memorize his word, you know, we say that all the time. God, I've hidden your word in my heart. That's what we say in LHC Kids. It's a verse. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more you know God's word, the more you know the actual factual. And the more ready you are to recognize the stinking thinking. Parents, teachers, we have an opportunity. We have a responsibility yeah. to help our children, to help our students recognize stinking thinking, to help them identify myths and untruths so that they can replace it with the truth, with what is real, with God's word, with the actual factual, because that is the foundation on which they must stand. But you see, if you study um, the epidemics, the trends, the patterns of the world today, then not only are children not recognizing the stinking thinking, but adults, we don't recognize it either sometimes. And we take on those myths and we begin to live our lives out of the, the fear false evidence appearing real, the fear of the myths that we have heard, and we begin to impose those on our children. We're, it's going to stop today. No more stinking thinking. We are going to embrace the responsibility to identify, to recognize our own stinking thinking, and then to help our children. You see, recognizing the stinking thinking is the first step of self-awareness, which is the first step to developing self-control and self-discipline. 
And so if we can all become more aware of how our thoughts are affecting our behaviors and become aware when our thoughts are not real and true, then we then can help the children and the students be set up for their best life. Uh, That's what we all want. We all want the teachers. That's what we work for. The parents, that's what we work for. Happy, healthy children. And there is a direct correlation between developing self-control and future happiness. Because kids who develop self-control, they learn to identify the stinking thinking. So let's start today in the classroom. Let's start with some of the stinking thinking that goes on in the classroom. Imagine yourself in a classroom, and here is one of the greatest classroom myths, the stinking thinking. Teachers are against kids. They are the enemy. They are there to make your life miserable. They are there because it is their goal to see how difficult they can make the assignment. That's just not true. That's a myth. Those children are there because they feel called. And so the actual factual is that teachers are for kids, even if you disagree with them, even when they seem unreasonable to you. God says, embrace the authority that he has put in your life. Let's look at Romans 13, 1. Here's some actual factual. Whenever you have a myth, you got to replace it with the actual factual. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. Uh Uh-oh, wait, I'm going to back up because not everybody really wants to embrace that authority, so we're going to try it again. (laughs) Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there. By God. By God. That authority in your life is there by God, for God. You have to trust the process even when you don't trust the authority. You have to trust the process. All authority is from God and by God. And I think a lot of times people say, well, what about if they're telling you to do something illegal? Okay, that's a great question for your college philosophy class. Knock yourself out. The vast majority of teachers, if a teacher or an authority, a coach, or somebody's asking you to do something immoral or illegal, absolutely, don't do it. But if it's unreasonable, if it's unpredictable, suck it up. Just, just, just go with it. Now, this is especially hard for parents because parents are like, well, the teacher's being, I need to talk to the teacher. No, you don't. You really, really don't. If your kid, if your child is in like, let's say second grade, it's second grade. It's, let's be honest, it ain't that big a deal. They've still got time to get into Harvard. Just go with it, okay? If they're in middle school or in high school, then you've got an opportunity. Your student has an opportunity to learn how to deal with difficult people. I want to, let me ask you, let's take a poll. Students, how many of you in this room have dealt with an unreasonable or an unpredictable teacher or coach? Let me just see a show of hands. Students. Hands are going up all over the room. Fascinating. Okay, now students, thank you very much. Thanks for participating. Put your hands down. Parents, adults, whatever. How many of us have ever dealt with an unreasonable or an unpredictable boss? What? It's unanimous. So when your child has an unreasonable or unpredictable teacher, let them Figure it out. I I had a teacher like this in eighth grade, and I I won't mention her name. 
It's Mrs. Smith. And uh, I'm just kidding, not really. But, but she really was. She was unpredictable. She was unreasonable. I can tell you objectively, not as a judgment in any way, shape, or form, just as an observation, she was wackadoodle-doo. And I would go home and complain to my mom regularly, Mrs. So-and-so is unbelievable. She's ridiculous. Finally, you know what my mom did? She said, Mac, let me ask you a question. How old is Mrs. What's-her-name? I said, I don't know, 120. <laughs> She's like, okay, let's just go with it. Let's say that she is 120 years old. What are the odds that you're going to change her? I, I could call the principal and schedule a meeting. Is that going to change her? No, ma'am. So here's what you do. Play the game. Just go with it. You've only got a few more months left in her classroom anyway. And over time, I learned that because of Romans 13.1, God even uses unreasonable and unpredictable authorities to shape us and mold us into who he's created us to be. So parents, the only email you need to send is thank you. That's the only one you ever need to send to a teacher. My child's bored. No, they're not. He's not that special. Don't send the email. <laughs> Emily, we, we did this with him, and I'm, I'm teasing, but not. What, is that? what do they say on social media? Kidding, but not. I'm, I'm telling you, Emily came into our room one time distraught over this, this one teacher. She was convinced this teacher hated her. And so I, I want to give you parents a tool. I think one of the greatest parenting tools available to us is mockery. Mock your children into the behavior they should Build have. Build on a foundation of trust. Yes. In but, the appropriate context and with no one else around. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm giving some guidelines for those of you who are going to employ this this afternoon. Now some, of, some of you are horrified. But here's the thing. We cannot coddle our kids in unreasonable situations. That's an opportunity for them to grow and to learn so that one day they move out of our homes. So Julie would say to Emily, you know what, Emily? She was in third grade, and, and we had built a foundation of trust. Thank you. Trust Protocol, great book. But uh, <laughs> we, had, we had built this foundation of trust, but Julie said to Emily, Emily, you know what? You're probably right. I think she hates you. You know what she's probably doing right now? She's telling all the other teachers everything she doesn't like about you. And Emily, obviously, she, she knew. She's like, Mom, that's not funny. You think you're being funny, but that's not funny. But we were helping her to see that she was, she was fabricating something. I love what Julie said earlier. Fear is a false expectation appearing real. I said, Emily, has she ever said to you, you know, Emily, I hate you. No, you don't know that. You don't have solid evidence. So proceed as though you don't know that she hates you. And for students, um, we are big believers in, and parents, you are big believers in, even if you don't know it yet, that um, your children should be the ones to interact with their teachers as early as possible. If a child doesn't understand the homework assignment, it is his responsibility to go to the teacher and get clarity on the homework assignment. Um, and if the, uh, and obviously, elementary school moms and dads are much more involved, but it is a gradual letting 
letting go. Um, instead of the email, send chocolate. Send the go. You know, what? how can I help? And so then middle school, high school, if a seventh grader comes home and says, you know, I don't understand the assignment. I do not email on behalf of my seventh grader. My seventh grader figures out how to arrange a meeting to get clarification on the homework, on the test. My eighth grader sets up the meeting with the coach about a question. I am gradually letting go because my vision is independence. And so high school, I am not checking grades every hour of every day. But if I don't, he will fail. And... I'd rather him learn natural consequences at 16 rather than 36. Mm. And so I'd rather him learn when he's in a safe environment. But our summer will be ruined if he has to go to summer school. Uh Uh-oh, now it's about you. And, and so guess what? My summer's not ruined. I'm still going on my vacation. And, and so now I don't have to pay for a dog sitter. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I, I mean, find your silver lining, parents, you know, because no, there, I, I did high school and I was awesome at it. And so now it's your turn. I did middle school. I did pretty well. Now it's your turn to do middle school. It is a gradual letting go. Encourage them to learn how to communicate with an authority, especially an authority they disagree with, especially an authority that they do not understand. Because it will happen at some point in their lives, and you just won points because you helped them figure out and learn how to do it. And I love all of the technology that we have today, but if we're not careful, then we fall into the myth that we've got to check our kids' grades and get alerts every hour. The progression of technology has led to the regression of personal responsibility. So as I've been able to keep up with my kids every hour, I'm now taking their opportunity to learn personal responsibility away from them. And yes, did I take my kids lunch every so often? Yes, I did. I admit it. And I was wrong. But this is what, and parents, we can do it. This is all you have to say to yourself. Today, I choose to delay his development. And then I just drive on out there and take that lunch. I I will bring you, and I just say to myself, today I choose to delay her development. I will take her homework. And just you make sure you are filtering it through that and remembering your job, your responsibility, your blessing is to raise up an independent adult and to send chocolate and gift cards to the teacher. Absolutely. Now, of course, we understand that the classroom is not the only part of school. I've always really, really believed that we should never let academics get in the way of a great education. So, there's also, some of you got that. Others of you get it at lunch and it'll be that much better. But there's also the locker room. There's the locker room or, or maybe the lunchroom, but it's in those environments where there's maybe a little less structure, a little less adult supervision where students have to figure out how they're going to connect with each other, how they're going to interact with, with friends or with peers. And man, there is some very real stinking thinking available in the locker room. A lot of times the stinking thinking will say, I have to fit in. Like I have to have a place to belong. I have to fit in. And so We all know that the easiest way to fit in, of course, is to get a laugh. And the easiest way to get a laugh is usually at somebody else's expense. You know, that's that stinking thing that says, I can elevate myself by tearing down someone else. Well, that's the stinking thinking. We've got to flip that script. And the actual factual is not that I have to fit in, but that I have to instead stand up. 
I, I have to be willing to stand up in those environments where somebody can't or won't defend themselves. I've got to be the one to say, you know what, well, I'm not going to talk about her like that. I, I know her. She's actually really, really smart, and she's awesome. I'll spend some time with her. It's an amazing thing to happen to see that progression. Here's what the Bible tells us. Again, this is the actual factual from God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Power, love, and self-discipline. You know how you manifest that kind of actual factual? Just be kind. Just be kind. Now, I know that a lot of times there are in locker rooms or lunchrooms, there are kind of these power struggles, and people are trying to figure out and maneuver where they fit on the social ladder, and I get that. But let me just suggest to you that the most powerful tool available is the tool of kindness. To be kind to somebody, to defend somebody when somebody else is picking on them or, or running them down but to stand up and just be kind. And if you aren't old enough to be in a locker room yet, maybe you're on the playground, you have the same power in your hand. Mm. You have the same power to make people feel like they have friends, to make them feel welcome, to be on the lookout for people that you can include. One of the kindest things you can do is say, come on with me. You yeah. can play with us. And you know what? That takes me to another area. As the locker room is, so is the lunch room. The lunch room, where am I going to sit? Man, some heavy-duty jockeying comes in to play at the cafeteria. You know and what I just thought of? I I'm going to interrupt with? you, sir, just a second. I, my freshman year of high school, I went to a new school. I'd gone to a small you know, Baptist church school all the way through eighth grade. Ninth grade, I went to a big public 5A Houston high school and got through the first. I still remember my first day of ninth grade. My first three classes, and then the lunch bell rang, and I hadn't even thought about it yet. I walked into the cafeteria, and it was an ocean of people, so many more people than I was used to. And I did not see one familiar face, not one. And I was standing there in the doorway, deer in the headlights, when all of a sudden a guy who lived in my neighborhood, who was a friend, who was a senior, a senior, came by and he goes, Ricardo, come on, sit with us. I was like, yes, sir. Thank you so much, Mr. Gregory. I appreciate it. I was so, <sighs> well, you know, later that afternoon, I saw some other people in school that I knew who were my age. But, man, to have a senior reach out and just say, hey, man, come sit with us. It was like a lifeline. <laughs> Thank you so much. But to be on the lookout, Emily, um, some, when she was older, she, a girl said to her, she said, I remember my first day when I met you. And Emily was like, oh, really? <laughs> and um, she said, you you'd said, you can sit with us. The, the power in those words, you can sit with us. It's amazing. On the playground, you can play with us. Uh, and when you get older, you can ride with us. You never outgrow that. You, as an adult, how grateful we are when someone includes us. There's power in standing up instead of fitting in. Fear says fit in. Courage says stand up. Yeah. And God has given you a spirit of power, of love and self-discipline so that you can stand up and be strong and courageous. Look at Joshua 1.9. 
The stinking thinking in the lunchroom says I have to fit in. Actual, factual, stand up. Joshua 1.9, this is my command. Is it up there yet? Okay, because we got to read this together. It says, this is my command. Read it with me. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. God is with you wherever you go. God is with you in the cafeteria. God is with you on the playground. God is with you in the locker room. God is with you in the classroom. God is with you on the bus. God is with you when you feel all alone. You are not alone. And he will honor your obedience. And he will give you the courage that you need when you are saying, I know I need to stand up. I know I need to stand up. I know I need to stand up. I think I need to fit in. Nope, that's thinking, thinking. I'll flip it. God will give me the strength to stand up. Fear says fit in. Courage says stand up. And look, I know it is not easy. If you're a kid, if you're a student, that is why we partner with parents every Sunday for kids, every Wednesday for students, and we help ingrain in you the actual factual. We have the series coming up strong enough. We did it two years ago. We're doing it again this year with the study of Paul, and we're going to see how Paul was strong enough to stand up and learn how we can be strong enough to be the only one to do the right thing. Students, we're going to do it on Wednesday night. Yes, you get a recharge on Sunday, but man, in those teen years, you have to, you know, double up. So we come back on Wednesday so that we can help you flip that stinking thinking to the actual factual. And parents, parenting is overwhelming. And so we have God's favorite ministry, fearlessmom.com. And fearless dads can listen or watch too. But in fearlessmom.com, you know, moms are, we've got some stinking thinking, some mom guilt. I'm not good enough. I'm not equipped for this. I don't know what I'm doing. We say, join the club. None of us knows what (laughs) we're doing, but we rally together and we instill the actual factual. That's what the church does. We partner with you. When you embrace the responsibility of parenting, the appropriate response is a little bit of vomit in your mouth. And so we want to help you by giving you what you need. If you walk into a school and you don't know anyone, we want to help you by arming you with the actual factual. We want to help you flip your stinking thinking. That is what we do. That is what God's design is. But you got to learn the actual factual. got to be around it. You have to ingest his word. You know, back to school is obviously a a great opportunity for a fresh start. And and I know not everybody looks at back to school as an opportunity. Not everybody's like, yip ya. But it really is that that fresh start. It's a clean slate. It's a blank canvas where where you get to kind of start from scratch. And that is great for all of us. No matter if you're going back to school this time of year or not, we all need a fresh start, whether it's a new day or to make sure that we understand a relationship with Christ. Again, I'm going to tell you, as we say around here all the time, all roads lead to the cross. All roads. So we've been talking about back to school and stinking thinking and the actual factual and everything that we've said is true and real and matters day to day. But ultimately, it's rooted in the reality that Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. The song that we sang earlier based on John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, when it says God loved the world, it's true that God loves creation and the cosmos and all that kind of stuff, but in that context it means God loves you. 
God loves me, Julie. He loves us by name. He created us on purpose for a relationship with himself. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus a gift. No strings attached, a gift. That means that you, you can't earn this thing about a relationship with God. You can't be good enough. You can't make sure your pros outweigh your cons. It is a gift. That's why grace is so amazing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever, anybody, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, so that whoever believes in him will never die but will have eternal life. This eternal life is not only about what happens when we die. It's not only about the sweet by and by. It's about the life that is truly life. It's as much about the here and now as it is the there and the then. This is what God has created us for. And if you've never stepped into that kind of a relationship with God, maybe for you that's new information. It's all right there in John chapter 3, verse 16, and in every page of the Scripture. It's all about Jesus. All roads lead to the cross. And so as we draw this back-to-school blessing to a close, I want to just present the question to you, have you? Just have you? Have you responded to the amazing grace of God? Have you responded by receiving the forgiveness that Christ offers, that he provides, that no one else can provide? And have you responded by exchanging your life for his life? Because when Jesus went to the cross, it was the greatest trade the world has ever known. It was the life of Jesus, God in the flesh, in exchange for our lives. It was Jesus's righteousness, his moral perfection in exchange for our sin so that whoever believes in him would never die but would live the life that is truly life, beginning here and now and extending forever. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And just in this sacred, prayerful moment, just ask you to personally answer that question. Have I? Have I responded to God's amazing grace confessing my sin, claiming his forgiveness, and deliberately, personally, appropriating and believing in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sin, for the purpose of a relationship with God. If you've never done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. Just to pray silently right where you're sitting. In your own words, just say something like this. Just say, just silently talk to God and say, Jesus, I need you. I need this forgiveness. And so I confess my sin to you. All of it, holding nothing back. Lord, I claim, I accept your forgiveness, freely given. 
Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again for me and I accept. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything that I have. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another brief moment. But if you just prayed that prayer, I want to make sure that you understand this is the greatest moment of your life. And you're really in the perfect place for it because you're surrounded by people who want to help. People who want to be a family with you. A family of faith, imperfect like every family, but a family. And so I want to ask you to do just just a couple of things, if you will, to help us help along the way. If you would, open up the program that you got when you came in, just, just right where you're sitting. Just open that up and You'll see the connect card inside there. If you will, just start filling that card out with the information, name and contact info. We keep all of that stuff internal, obviously. And about halfway down that card, you'll notice there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. Once you've filled that card out, you can can tear it off along the perforation. And when we wrap up the service in just a moment, if you would, just hand that card to one of our ushers. One of the folks had the blue LHC shirt on. That allows us to begin the process to, to be a family with you, to come alongside and help at whatever pace works for you. And then second of all, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if, if that was your prayer, would you mind just raising your hand? If you, if you prayed that prayer this morning, just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for just a brief moment. And as you hold your hand up, just know that you're making a physical statement to the spiritual commitment, kind of stamping this moment in your life, in the life of this church, and saying, this is real. This happened. And know that we honor that and celebrate that with you. You can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and just tell you, welcome home.